This is iFanboy Pick of the Week number 660, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode number 660. I'm Josh Flanagan, and just before I started to talk, Connor sucked in air and held it. And that's why I'm laughing. Because of 3-2, I heard, <gasps> silence. I was like, how long can I do this and just see if he doesn't exhale? And he passes out. Connor, just, Patrick is my ghost. You just hear, as I hit the desk. Do I finish the show? <laughs> It'd be a lot shorter. Well, it'd be harder because you're, you know, you're recording over there. So that's true. You <laughs> just record till someone found me. Yeah, that's a, and that's gonna that's gonna screw up your hard drive eventually. Yeah. We are fanboy, and we have bad priorities. <laughs> in our stack of comics. See what I was saying about that priority thing. Yeah. Uh, one of us picks their favorite book, and we call that the pick of the week. We're talking about that book. Other books from the week: uh, patron pick, uh, maybe listener mail, maybe maybe current ons ons going. Mm. On goings, goings on, goings on. I think that's the third one. Goings I on. It's going though. I think I'm pretty. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, it's an entertainment show. It's here to be fun. Maybe you'll learn something, but I don't know that that's our first priority. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. Education is not as low on the list. No, not at all. Uh, the, it's a spoiler-filled uh, uh, program. Uh, so there will be spoilers. That we'll talk about what happens in the books. So if you look at the list of books. Uh, that we list conveniently along with times, and you say, "Oh, I haven't read that one yet." Uh, you will know that we will talk about it. We we might we might hinder that experience for you. We don't want to do that. So here's your warning: that's a thing that could happen. Uh, brush up, right? Read your stuff, move forward. Uh, unless it doesn't really matter if you get spoiled, because that's not what the experience is about. Your call, Connor. You had the pick. I did, but I also I want to say that actually, education is not the low on the list. We like to reveal new things to people. Maybe they don't know about history of comics or whatever. Yeah, that's true. But then there's the things we get wrong. Well, that's true. When you record a whole show about a book, and you're like, I don't know what this has to do with criminal. And at the <laughs> beginning, it says, this is a criminal book. And we find that halfway through the show. But there's still, uh, you know, take us with a grain of salt. That's my point. Listen all the way through to the end. True. Yes, always do that. I had to pick, and all the books came out this week. All of them. I had, by the, by when, when it was all said and done, I read close to 30 books. Which was double the amount I've read two of the last three weeks. Which so it was a very stressful week. But the good news is a lot of good ones, which makes yes. this kind of week much more palatable. If this had been a week with a lot of medium to low quality books, it would have been bad. You're really right because I did have a moment where, like, I was, I was. There was a lot of books. I was like, Jesus, yeah. I'm never going to get through these. But there were m- multiple times where I, I, I finished the book and I was like, wow, that was good. And I thought to myself, I was like, yeah, I still like these, <laughs> which was a thing that I had to examine. But it really was a moment. I was like, oh, wow, that was a, that was a great superhero book. And I was like, I'm not completely dead yet. So let's carry on. <laughs> yeah, I had, uh, I don't know, four books I could have made pick at one point during my reading. I, I kept changing it as I was reading through my sta- digital stack of books. So, oh, that's the pick. Oh, no, no, that, maybe this is the pick. And then I got to the end, and it was Mr. Miracle number 12. Perhaps it had to be Tom King, Mitch Gerrards, Clayton Cowles. I think this was probably a controversial book for many people who read it. The reason why I was the pick beyond the, the expert craft involved, we've talked about to death throughout the course of this run, 
is that when I read it, I thought one thing. And then when I stopped reading it, because it was the last book I read and sat down and I thought about it for a while, it was sort of running through the back of my mind as I was doing other things. And then I had to drive somewhere and I thought about it the entire drive and I realized something about it and sort of put the pieces together of the story. And I thought, oh, wow, any book that can make me sort of sit and think for the half hour after I've read it is the pick of the week. That's very valid. As we saw in the last issue, issue 11, uh, Scott and Barda travel to Apocalypse to offer their new son Jacob to Darkseid as an offering to end the war between Apocalypse and, and New Genesis. This is what happened to Scott. When he was a kid, he was offered to Darkseid by, by High Father to start, stop the war that, at that point. So it was, it was an emotional issue in which the, a fa- the father had to do what he did to his own son. And, but then there was a twist in which it was a, all a feint and Scott stabbed Darkseid repeatedly in the face with a, a knife made out of Orion uh, and killed him. Mm-hmm. But then Metron appeared and said, hey, you're not in the right world. There's a whole other world. And showed him the New 52. And that was the big cliffhanger. So then what was going to happen in this issue? So what happens here is basically, I'm going to tell you what I, what I originally read. Before you go, I, I want to make this clear to the audience. I yeah. want people, I don't understand it. This issue. I, as of yet, I, I thought about it. I read it. This isn't saying it's bad, but I, I don't know that I've, I've figured it out. And I figured I might need to read it again or I'm going to ask Connor what he says and that might save me. The All right. Well, I'm going to tell you what happened in it and then I'm going to tell you what I think happened in it, if that makes sense. Yes. Because it's not laid out on a silver platter. You have to work for yeah. it. So first there's an opening page in which Scott's doing a trick in front of a bunch of uh, comic book luminaries and celebrities in the audience, including Din Dio, Jim Lee, Tom King, Mitch Gerrits, Paul Shear, that guy from TV, that guy, that guy yeah. Paul of Tompkins, a lot of people. Yep. And so then he, we we sort of forgotten about the whole cliffhanger. It's not addressed. He's back on Earth. He shaves his beard. It looks better with the beard actually. And then he's visited yes. by many ghosts, people who have died throughout this this series. And while that's happening. Barda's pregnant again. They've got a daughter coming. They end the war in a terrific scene in which Barda punches out, what's his name? This idiot. The Canto. Yeah, okay. Brilliant scene. Yep. So the war's ended, and Scott's got a new, you know, bigger family. They're talking about leaving uh, LA because they needed a bigger apartment. Mm-hmm. And there's a nice little Stan Lee tribute, which there's a lot of those this week by accident, you know, of timing. Yes. Obviously, the character of, uh, what's his name? Funky Flashman. Funky Flashman is a Stanley uh, character. He's Stanley. It was. It was. It, it's not a. It's not a touching tribute character. St- Jack Kirby created no. him because he was very upset with Stanley at the time. Right. And then there's a there's a callback to the first issue with. By the, the way, scene. that was that was some of that factual history we were talking about exactly. right there. Uh, there's a callback to the first issue with the scene of the of the boy in school, which I took to be sort of showing Jacob as he gets older. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then some stuff goes down. With ghost to ghost conversations, and then it sort of ends and says that was the adventures of Mister Miracle with Scott and Barda cuddling on the couch, talking about their future together. So at first I was like, "Oh, interesting. This isn't going to go well for people." I was like, "I really like that," but I put it down. Sort of a Sopranos moment. Yeah. <laughs> so what? Before I get into what I think happened, tell me what you thought. All right. So for me, the experience of the book largely lies in the. In me trying to sort out what the 
what the underlying metaphor is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a lot of this has to do with, to me, this, this the struggles of parenthood and marriage, and and how some of that can seem overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with this, that's that's who Scott Free is to me. He's sort of trying to make his way through this world, and there's just way more stuff than he think he can, he can bear. Now we all feel like that, but he's actually the scion of apocalypse. So that you know, and like he's got this whole other thing, like so. The sort of extra weight on his shoulders is is an extraordinary metaphor for, I think, what a lot of parents and adults feel today in our world. Mm-hmm. So that is how I tend to experience it more than like trying to explain what the specific beats are and how it fits into canon or whatever it is or, or like that. So I read it as a coda on that, which is, you know, you, you keep going, you do the, you know, you do the stuff, your family's growing. Uh, he finds a lot of joy in his immediate family. And then the rest of the stuff is stuff that he has to deal with in order to do it. You know, he gets along with his wife. They have some disagreements, but they get together. And that to me has been the theme of the whole thing. So I saw that through the whole thing. And, and if nothing else, uh, you know, like with, when the all father shows up and, you know, Scott basically gets past him by, you know, by kicking him out and being like, you're, you know, you're full of shit or fuck you is what he says, but mm-hmm. or, well, squiggly sign you. But I don't know specifically, like it, it feels like he's dealing with internal demons. I haven't figured out if it was real, if he's real, if what it is, but in the end, I don't know that that matters to me. Right. So it's not really a Sopranos type ending. It, it is in the effect, I think, in that people are like, what the fuck was that? But it, that part's actually less important. Well, yeah, the journey is always more important than yeah. the destination. and that's always how I've looked at this. And also, I like to look at it. So I think that's a perfectly valid way to interpret it because there is a lot going on in the book. And as a father, you're obviously going to interpret it stronger to that side. Now, knowing what Tom King has said, and that is that every comic he's done so far has been his attempt to work through his to hit the psycho- psychological fallout of being in war, mm-hmm. I look at this yeah. a different way. Here's my rundown. So the first ghost is Granny Goodness, and she says... You're living in your head. You had your chance to go back when Metron revealed the truth to you, but you didn't go back. You've escaped to your head. Forager says, uh, you killed yourself, and you're living in hell in this constant state of war where no, no, war never stops. You can't save everybody. People you love keep dying. Orion says, you killed yourself. This is heaven. You've reached your pinnacle of family. You've got your wife. You've got a son. You've got a daughter in the way. You're living this perfect family life. You're, you killed yourself, and you're in heaven. Darkseid doesn't say anything. Hi, Father says, you went up against the anti-life equation and you lost because you weren't strong enough. And then Obron says, it doesn't matter. It's all fake anyway. You take all those together and it's, it's, it's all pretty much laid out for you in that he went up against the anti-life equation. He lost. He killed himself, which if you go back to the very first issue, the first image we see is him laying on the floor, bleeding out from cutting his wrists. Right. And then he wakes up in the hospital and says, Barda, you used to have blue eyes. Now you've got brown eyes. That's the first big clue that he's not in reality anymore. Okay. So he went up against the anti-life equation. He killed himself. He's in this new world in his head or wherever it is that is both heaven and hell. He's got the heaven side of his family and the hell side of the war. And it doesn't matter anyway because he's a comic book character and it's all fake. And that's – so to me, everything the ghosts tell him is true in this issue. Uh-huh. He's been in his head since he killed himself in the very first scene of the first issue. So is he actually dead? Well, he's a, it doesn't matter because he's a combo character, as Oberon said. So now what I'm doing – yeah, no, and I like that. That's fine for me. So now what I'm doing is going through the book and looking at Barda's eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're conveniently shut or not colored in a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the scene where they are doing the ultrasound, mm-hmm. her in the second panel, her left eye is brown and her right eye is blue. Interesting. 
In the eighth panel, both of us, both of our eyes are blue. That's interesting. And that is not an accident. No. And that's a very you did like. Did you remember that without? No, no. I so what I did was I read issue eleven because it had been so long since issue eleven came out. Because I just wanted to be on top of all the details. I read twelve, then I went back and I read one. Okay. I didn't read one. I went through one. I looked at the first seed again, and I, I looked at what had happened. I remember we talked about in the first issue. Is this a whole thing about death? Because is he dead or not dead? Because in the story, he tries to kill himself and doesn't work. But there are subtle clues that it actually did work. And I think this issue confirms it did work, but it doesn't really matter because he's a. O'Brien basically says, "What does that? What does the other world matter? Where there's in those crises and continuities, and everybody ends up okay at the end. It's just as real as the world you're living in, which is basically a big, uh, high level way of saying your fictional character doesn't really matter. Your which which reality you're in, it's all the same." And that's, I mean, I I can go with that, and I think that that is a brilliant way of getting around the wool is this real or can it? It's like who gives a shit, right? I, I think also on page eight, her left eye is blue and her right eye is brown. It only happens a few times in it, and at the beginning of that page, both her eyes are brown. So that's an interesting twist on it. Yeah, I mean that's that to me is them. It could, it could be him him saying this is – because basically he doesn't choose to go back to the New 52 to quote unquote the real world. Right. He chooses to stay in this fantasy world. So that could be him saying this is where I am now. And so she becomes real there. Or that could be – you know, or the, to me that's the creators toying with your notions of what's important and what isn't. I mean it's such a tiny, tiny clue. Like I had to zoom in with my fingers to see really close what that was. But there are clearly spots of color there. I bet you can't even see that in the printed version. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, but it's there and, and you, I mean, to me, that's them saying it's, 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 that's, it's them echoing Oberon. It doesn't matter. This stuff is inconsistent. Stop worrying about it. Right. You're right. That is, that is incredibly subtle because, because in the first issue, when they discuss it, like she has like fully colored irises. That's nuts. And so here, this this is a swipe of color. I just want to point out that Mitch won an Eisner for doing this art, and they didn't even know the most brilliant thing that he'd done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's so uh, to me, this all leads up to a terrific final issue, a terrific series. I think it'll be really interesting to read, go back and reread, uh, knowing uh, what how it goes. It really does feel like – I don't want to overblow it too much because it's hard to say when you're in it. You don't have perspective. Mm-hmm. But sure. it really does feel like part of the family of books that matter. Mm-hmm, and I, sure. I, like, I would put it in a lineage with something like The Watchmen or or Animal Man. When Animal Man turns to the screen, you know, and looks it at the reader. It still freaks me out. Right. But that's like a moment. That's an important touchstone in comic books that says something important. And he's doing that here. He's doing it way more subtle. Animal Man looks at it and he screams full panel page. He yells at you. There's no way to miss it. The stuff in here is like you can have it if you want it. If you want to look for it, like I needed a partner. I need a guy who's been uh, podcasting and thinking about comics for, you know, 20 years, you know, to be able to help explain it to me. And I'm right there with like, you know, it is not easy. Right. But that doesn't make it that that makes it more valuable as far as I'm concerned. Like you can enjoy it on many levels. That's and, what's and great at about end, it. At the end, we, at that whole conversation we have, I'm still reading it the same way that I was that I described to you before. And, I think, and it's totally valid. It. That's what's great yeah. about it is it can exist for, for – I mean I I think there's a thing they're trying to do here, but it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what you take out of the art because art's ultimately, ultimately personal. And then the other thing is that like 
if you if you've, you've gone back and read Watchmen again, right? Of course. Right. Every time you read it, does it get it gets better? Yeah, because you there's more layers. I guarantee you, you reread this and it's going to get better. You might need to take some time, give it a year or so, read it, give it yeah. another year, read it. You, I'm 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 positive. It's just too thoughtful not to to have that stuff in there. And For then sure. it, like like that's the art that keeps giving. That's kind of amazing. And I'm, I know they want to work together again. I'm very curious to see what they do again next. Yeah. Because the, I mean, the, the sheriff of, of Baghdad, was it Baghdad or Babylon? It started as Baghdad. It became Babylon, and I've never shaken Baghdad. Yeah. It was great. It was more straightforward, but it was a really interesting, and I want to say transcendent, but really incredible piece of art looking at mm-hmm. the war. And this is a really incredible piece of art looking at uh, fatherhood, superheroes, and the nature of existence and happiness and love and death and trauma. I, I, I'm just really curious to see what they do next now. I mean, I know they've done random issues of Batman here and there, but I'd really rather they not just do that. I'd rather, I'd rather, Don't waste it. Let's do another. Like, keep doing those random issues of Batman, sure. But like, yes, I want to see what their next self-contained 12-issue well, I mean, story Like The thing is there, imagine the, the challenge that that is now. Oh, for sure. So what do we do now? I don't know. Nobody move. Let's just. Crippling anxiety. I mean, yeah. Tom King likes to joke about it. All artists feel it. All writers feel it. There's a lot of pressure. He's also on a stupid run right now. Right. I just like at this point he's gonna be like, I could I, if I was him, I'd be thinking, I really need to flop on something. Just <laughs> just you know, like cause you know, every time he does it, you know, like his the expectations go up. They should do a twelve issue deep dive on ambush bug and have everyone hate it. <laughs> I guarantee you at the beginning of this, they must have thought there's a really good chance everyone's gonna hate this. Sure. And it, and it, I mean, it didn't go that way. Obviously. I think anyone who does anything puts it out to the world will think that. Yeah. You know, I, I always think everyone hates the show when they listen to it. Like, that was a bad one. <laughs> so that was the pick of the week. And I think it was an incredible series. And we'll talk about on the year-end show where it fits into the pantheon of the, of the year. But, you know, it, this book ended up being, for me, everything we, we, we wanted it to be and talked about. And more. And more. I mean, I think I think it exceeded every one of those expectations, which is pretty cool. Which is too bad for Thor number seven, because uh, <laughs> any any other any other week, uh, Thor number seven is the pick of the week. It was pick of the week. Like I said, Mister Miracle was the last book I read. Thor number seven was the pick of the week up until the very last book. Jason Aaron guest art by Tony Moore. This is a one shot. There was a lot of one, there was actually quite a few num- uh, issues yeah. this week that were just one shots. This was an incredible flashback tale of young Thor being completely screwed over by a young Loki and Odin. And it was heartbreaking and it was fun and it was funny and it was beautiful to look at. Oh, God, I just I just felt so bad because this is such a great issue. This was such a great single issue comic. This was the first book I read this week. Like I was like, all right, where we get started? And I read it and I was like, well, there's your pick of the week. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right away, I mean, like it could have been easily any, you know, any week. I, I, you know, I flipped that right after the cover guest artist, Tony Moore. And I went, oh, like, I haven't seen Tony Moore art in a, in a while. Forever. Yeah, forever. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I was like, well, does he still, he'll got it? Oh, he's, he's got it. Like, and it, it, it was perfect for this. Not a zombie in the book. As far as I can tell, you know, but all these sort of cool renditions of uh, what's her name, Erica the Red, and 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 like Loki's mask and. Well, what was great about it since it was a flashback, it wasn't like they were wearing the modern Asgardian yeah. stuff. It was all older, so they're wearing a lot of animal horns and furs and looking more like traditional Norse gods and superheroes. And I thought that was really great. Yep. And it's just a, it's a one shot in which Thor is he is disillusioned with Asgard so he's spending all of his time on Midgard fighting with the Vikings and and Odin's 
pissed that his son hasn't returned to him. And he, so Loki says, I can bring him back for you. And so proceeds to instigate the series of events in which he meets Erica the what? The Red. Erica Red. the Red, who was the baddest badass in that clan. And they fall in love. And then he, then then Loki instigates an event in which Thor has to leave and go help an invasion of frost giants or whatever it was, and and when he comes back, it's the time relativity thing for him. It was just a couple of days, but for Earth, it was forty years, and Erica had died, and and mm-hmm. never never giving up on him coming home to her because they were in love, and it was just a tragic. It's like fucking Loki. It was, but it wasn't, and I think that it's really interesting that. I, we've had a lot of tales, you know, the, almost this whole book, the whole story is about, you know, Odin, who has all of this power, who is not a good dude. You know, like he, he you know, he, he's not he's not evil per se, but there's this there's this thing that goes back and forth. And the lesson that they're, tr- they're trying to teach Thor and how like basically, dad, you just don't understand, which is what the whole book is. Mm-hmm. And and the explanation of sort of what Thor took away from this from the lesson that he learned from the mortal woman, I thought it was brilliant, and it was very—it was like a, it was like a full-on uh, morality play and 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 fable, and you know, it it just made like a really succinct point about something that you know has been probably made a billion times, but it was done really elegantly. Mm-hmm. I really liked that, like that you know, basically because she's like, he's like, I love you, and she's like, show me. And right. so, like, then he's learning, like, how to appreciate life in a way that yep. his father, who, again, has all of the power that anyone could ever need or want or whatever, like, can't, doesn't get. And I, I like that. And it puts him on the on the road to becoming worthy of Mjolnir. Yep. Because he wasn't at that point. And she basically says, if you want to, you know, at, the, the message to him when he comes back via the old woman on the hill mm-hmm. was, you know, she said, show me. I hope you know what that means, my lord. And basically, then we see the, the hammer. So, basically... I mean, something's happening between that, but, mm-hmm. you know, the last line is what it meant to be worthy. So the woman who taught Thor what it meant to be a god, what it meant to be worthy. So basically, Erica the Red, through the heartbreak of losing her, helps Thor to become the god of thunder, which was great. It was a great, it was a really great one shot told in yes, 20 pages, which is very hard to do. Yep. And and, and Tony Moore's, uh, he's got it. Have I seen Still him since it. Fear Agent? The last thing I can remember is the Rick Remender Frankenstein Punisher. That wasn't that before Fear Agent. Uh, it was. I mean, Fear a lot, Agent a lot of people. A lot of people did Fear Agent, but I mean, it was that was. I think that was during Fear Agent. It wasn't. All, it wasn't a lot. It was just back and forth between um, Moore and Moore and Opeña. Wasn't Hawthorne? Uh, and did it, Mike Hawthorne do it? Oh yeah, yeah. He finished up the last bit. Now that you're. Now that you. But I think it was the breakdowns from Tony. That was uh, two years ago, right? Uh, you know what? I'd tell you to go check the calendar, but I don't think you want that. <laughs> I think so. it was like ten years ago. Yep. So also, Cosmic Ghost Rider number five was briefly the pick before mm-hmm. I read Thor. This is I the final issue of the miniseries. Donnie Cates, Dylan Burnett, Antonio Fabella, Clayton Cowles, in which Donnie Cates really sticks a time travel landing here. You're not kidding. In a way that I don't, th- uh, I don't think most people do. So it, I mean. It, it's just it's one of those things where time travel will always screw you. You think you've done the right thing, and at the end of the day, time is one. There's like this and and the movie Looper. Those are the two things I could think of that did it right. Obviously, it's been the story of old cosmic ghostwriter who was Frank Ca- old Frank Castle who has been dealing with you know, trying to save baby Thanos from becoming monster Thanos in the future, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work out for him. In fact, 
it turns out that he was the one that taught Thanos how to be a monster, and I loved that scene. Yep. What was the line? Because ah, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Someone had to teach the boy to kill. Silent panel. Ah, fuck. Silent panel. The thinking about it before he came to the conclusion is the best part. I love a silent panel followed by a reaction. It's one of my favorite. That's things. the thing that comics can do better than anything, and huh? it just it was just terrific. And then he goes off. I mean, it's just it looks really good. The Dylan Burnett art was great. Mm-hmm. I also really love the scene in which he goes to the other timeline in which he's alive with his wife uh-huh. and takes baby Thanos away from them and because he'd hidden him there and his wife calls out to him and there's a, there's a really the old minutes are super cartoony but there's so much emotion and yeah, it's, human it's feeling a, in that in that pa- in that panel Goran Parlovian in that way <laughs> it kills them but uh, it was I, I, I mean this was a really terrific issue as well really terrific Yes, and I think that we need to give Donnie Cates more credit for being able to, for some reason, make Frank Castle talk like a Texan Wolverine the whole time and no one says anything. Because he's ain't, I ain't, this, that. I'm like, what the fuck's this coming from? I don't care, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. That is not how Frank Castle has ever talked or would. I don't realize why he'd pick up a colloquial southern accent, <laughs> it, it, like uh, touring the, the, the spaceways, but apparently it's happened. <laughs> Listen, time does a lot of things to him, man. I mean, it must. And I haven't heard anybody complaining about that, but it doesn't make any sense, and I love that. Yeah, and I, I have definitely noticed it. Not, I just haven't said it. It's not like Donnie doesn't know. Yeah. Like he, like, he knows about this deep Marvel history. He knows what Frank Castle sounds like, but he made a decision, and he's sticking with it. He's writing Guardians of the Galaxy, the next series, yeah. right? Okay, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Yep. It'll be a good time. Fantastic Four, number three, features finally the reunion We've been waiting for after three issues of this and however many issues of Marvel 2-in-1, which they've been reunited, they finally get to say, hey, we're back. We missed you guys. Yeah. And I, every time I read one of these, I'm like, did I miss an issue? I don't care. And then I just keep sort of keep going through it. For some reason, everyone who's ever been to the Fantastic Four is in this issue. I don't remember why, but there's crazy God stuff going on. And I'm back and forth with my... Am I okay with Dan Slott or not? And it always sort of ends up in the same way. Like, he's obviously got some kind of gift like mm-hmm. there's 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 a thing going on here and i i actually really enjoyed it and at the end like i was like this issue i was like this feels like when i would pick up a fantastic four issue from a random pile of comics in the 80s mm-hmm. and just not really know what's going on but feel like i was reading something you know that was worth reading basically yeah. no i this was fun this this is probably my favorite one of the three so far i think so for sure all the heroes being there was sort of a nod to the Fantastic Four's past. Yeah. There was even a funny bit where Iceman's there and he's like, you've never been on the team. And he's like, we've never told that adventure, true, you know, true believers. Yeah. And they, yeah. That was fun. Because that, that felt I, very much like the 80s, you know. Yeah. And I liked that uh, I liked that Black Panther was there because it was a harken back to one of our oldest running stupid jokes. <laughs> That's right. So so they were there really to deal with the problem while the family got to sort of reconnect. And there's even a yeah. joke. Like, what have that you guys been doing while we've been fighting? Like, that was sort of a joke as with well. With all that junk going on, if they had used that and it had been a confusing mess, um, I don't think it would have worked. But there was plenty of scenes where it really was just the four of them. And then that was the important thing. And that's how they got through. And I liked the plotting. I liked how Reed Richards figured it out. I liked – that was all really nice. It yeah. was really well done. Um, it was pretty strong. And I think that maybe that sense of humor that we were talking about as it relates to Iron Man, which mm-hmm. for me has a rough time at times, it it fits better here. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I love that his Silver Surfer, and I think maybe there's this sort of, you know, old school Marvel cosmic corner that his sensibility really works with. 
Yeah, it does. So we'll see going forward. Because now, the, I'd like to see them now back into a sort of a standard Fantastic Four adventure and see how that goes. Is this a standard length issue? Maybe a couple of pages long. No, it's twenty. Yeah, twenty. That's a they, that that was a hell of a lot to happen in twenty pages. Also, in addition to every book coming out, a lot of the books were gigantic. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Well, they felt it. This one, no, some were like definitely. Was, this one, this one, yeah. was, this one was big. The next one was definitely gigantic. Yes, it was. And I saw as soon as I started the cover, I looked at Avengers number ten, but it said our seven hundredth issue, and I was like, stop. You stop, they're having their cake and eating it too, and it's pissing me off. Yeah, it's not that it's one way or the other. I don't have a preference. It's that they won't make a decision, and I want them to make a decision. Yeah, it's like because you have you have uh, Daredevil this week was like issue six eleven or whatever it was. Moon Knight was two hundred. Like go go, pick a lane. This is what I'm saying, and also pick a lane company wide. Yes, both companies are doing it, and and to me, like oh, man, I we've talked about this uh, like uh, many times, but like. I, again, when I remember being a kid and you'd see, you know, Detective Comics 600, whatever, probably mm-hmm. that's when I got in the late 600s. And I just thought, that's going to be so cool when they're up, you know, however yeah. many hundreds of issues later. And like, we should be in that right now. Like, I, you know, people who are picking up comics, be like, wow, Detective Comics 970, whatever. Like, that should be. <laughs> you choose a bad example because that's one of the books that is in using the. I, I know, I know. But, but either way, you know, like, I, the, and the fact is, like, if a, a Moon Knight comic comes out, the fact that it says 200 something, that's awesome. Yeah. That there, you know, maybe it's not a straight line, but there's 200 of them. That means there's like there's a real history to it. And I think that to me, that's what was attractive about these. I don't, you know, I, I something something that that's 40 years old to me in superhero comics is more interesting because there's more stuff to choose from. So this is the 700th issue. Yes, it's, obviously, I, I knew it was going to be long. I was like, all right, yep, there it is. David Marquez, Ed McGinnis, Fraser Irving, Adam Kubert, Andrea Sorrentino. So a lot of artists in this one, and I found myself, I really liked all, all those artists. But I, I was really sad when the Marquez art stopped. Marquez art was pretty great. He's got a he's he's he keeps getting better, you yeah. know. And I think he peaked a little while ago, and we're sort of riding that peak. Uh, and I and I mean that, and like he's always been good, but he'll keep doing. What was the last uh, big mini series that he did? Civil War Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I was like, oh, he's he's that guy now, which is awesome. Got the what's his name, Gorilla Man. <laughs> oh, gr- yeah, Gorilla Man. He was in this. I was like, oh, Gorilla Man, that's fun. There's a uh, lot of lot of animal characters in this. I like which for artists has got to be a super ton of fun. Yeah, he's got. I will if I'm going to give him any problem here. You've got on page 13. You got Captain America on a on a motorcycle that looks a little too small, and his foot is way too close to the ground. But besides that, that was the one bit where I was like, that's weird looking. Mm. I like that this was crazy. Mm-hmm. I like that there was just a shit ton of characters, and it felt very, very Avengers-like, even more so than that first issue, which was we're getting the team together and giants sentinel or, or celestials show up. Like this one was just nuts. And again, I, 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 I don't hate to keep going back to this, but I am keeping going. Like this is one of those deep Marvel things. Like you bring out all those uh, Crimson Russian- Dynamo. I was happy to see Crimson Dynamo. And Vanguard, and like I remember seeing those sort of variations when I, you know, again when I was a kid, and I always thought that was so cool. And and they're different perspective on things and the fact that like they all started fighting with each other is like oh that's what's supposed to happen they all fight before they have a team up and you know but it's russian and americans are going against each other but the americans don't are mad at steve rogers too and i wish that story would go away but um so here you have the avengers fighting the defenders which is namor's undersea army and they're all pissed off he's they're pissed off he's using that name which is which was nice yeah, and then the uh, crimson—not the crimson guard. What's the, the winter guard shows up? 
which mm-hmm. is Russia's Avengers, which has a lot of analogs to the American soldiers, yep. or the American Avengers. And then at the very end, Agent Coulson is brought back to bring back the Squadron Supreme, which is the Marvel bunch of DC analogs mm-hmm. to fight. Yep. So there's a lot of heroes fighting hero teams fighting analogs fighting analogs here and i really love it yes and 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 then and in the end you get however many pages of uh fraser irving doing a story where this new ghostwriter hangs out with odin for a while and i was like that was super fun yeah you know it was it's it was a it was a really good old superhero time yeah this is this felt I mean, then you had like little moments where you know Thor and and She Hulk are sort of circling each other, and everybody else sees that it was really fun. They're trying to hide it, but Captain Marvel's like Jesus Christ, and everyone knows what's going on. And he wanted her to text her. You get to <laughs> text her for me. You really get to have those little fun team moments uh, in the midst of these giant team fights. Jason Aaron's doing a really good job of handling it all, and I think this is a little, this is it's the book started a little slow, but it picked up in the last couple of issues, and I think now we're in, in a groove with Avengers. Yeah, and also like, it just seems like the team. It seems like the creators are having fun. It yeah. seems like Jason's having fun. Like, like letting letting it be kind of loose. He loves this like shit. That. Yeah, I know. And I say that in the best possible way. Yeah, and it shows. <laughs> you don't mean this shit. Like I mean, it looks, this shit. This is crazy. You know, it's like this shit. Yeah. It looks like Blade's going to be one of the rotating members of the team. Yep, that's always fun. Quick break to talk about how you can help support iFanboy, especially as the holidays start rolling around and you need to do some shopping. Uh, or you have, want to give some gifts. The first thing you do, patreon.com slash ifanboy. That's where you can come become a patron. We had a we had an uptick in membership this, this month. We do appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to our next stretch goal, which is a two-part goal. One is the addition of the monthly non-comics media podcast, in which Josh and I and possibly guests will talk about a non-comics media thing for for an episode. And then the other goal is we will upload all of the missing video shows that were recently removed from YouTube by Discovery Networks. Uh, all of our old videos and minis, there's probably over a hundred of those that we have ready to go to upload. And we uploaded the Stanley one this week just as a tribute, but there's a lot of other ones that aren't, aren't on the web currently. So if you want to see those shows, head over to patreon.com slash ifanboy for that. T-shirt store, ifanboy.threadless.com. Here's where you can get some gifts for people. I think nothing is a better gift right now than the nothing makes sense, nothing matters t-shirt. doesn't matter yeah. what, it's, what it's in reference to, what side of the aisle people sit on. I think this is the shirt for our times. And if you want to give that as a gift, they don't even have to like comics or even know who Jack Kirby was. Give it to your grandpa, who is very angry about things, and give it to your aunt, who's very angry about things, or your sister, or your your cousin. Or it doesn't have to be. Uh, it doesn't have to be angry. It can be confused. Right. It Does, can be uh, like uh, that sort of bemused acceptance. That's where I'm at. Oh, <laughs> it's just like this now. <laughs> so all right. So that's a great gift. But you can also find all of our t-shirts. The iFanboy logo, the Herm shirt, the Pick a Leak podcast, the Rating shirt, the If One Is Lecture shirt, and the GDAT shirt. The GDAT shirt is like your antidote to the Nothing Makes Sense, Nothing Matters shirt. Sure. If you want uh, give a gift this year, give a gift of iFanboy. We do appreciate that. If you want to help us directly out to support us, uh, iFanboy.com says support via PayPal to make a direct donation, a one-time donation. If you want to do that instead of uh, becoming a patron, that's totally cool. We, people do that. We do appreciate it. And also... Fanboy.com slash Amazon is where you can find links to our Booksplode books, as well as a general Amazon link for all your holiday shopping needs. We do appreciate everyone who does that, thinks about us when they do their online shopping. We do appreciate all the methods in which people help to keep the show supported. And this is how media works. It's listener and ad supported. So we do thank you for everyone who does that. Indeed. We are here talking about, about Hey Kids Comics again. 
Um, and you had asked me a question. Hey, this Kids is, Comics 4 yep. uh, came out from, from Howard Jake in writing and drawing. You'd asked me a question earlier this week. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to remember what it was. But it was like, why do you like that? Uh, it wasn't so much that. It was more like, because uh, we talked about this on the patron hangout. So that's the other thing is if you're a patron, we have yes. a monthly hangout, which we babble for an hour about random stuff. Uh, on that hangout, we were talking about some of the books we've been reading and because we were going through the pull list for this week. And I said I liked it, but I didn't really understand the point of it. Maybe that's It didn't seem to be telling an overall story. It just seemed to be sort of moments in time in the comics industry through these thinly veiled versions of real people. It doesn't seem to be telling an overall story. It just seems to be telling. You get a couple of pages in the 40s, a couple of pages in the 50s, a couple of pages in the 60s, a couple of pages in the 2000s. So I came up with an answer for that. Okay. I think I answered you something before, but as I was reading it, and I think it's important because, um, and we'll talk about this more later, but Stan Lee passed away this week, mm-hmm. and this book was not kind to him. No. Or his analog, really. I'm re- I find this fascinating. This subject matter, these people, the history of comics. And to me, what this is, is Howard Jacob giving his overall take on everything. And also giving you because he's he's strode generations, you know, he's he's been in several different generations of comics and he's still involved now, like he's got a unique perspective on it. And these people, where they came from and sort of the turmoil that was going on behind the scenes while creating these things, you know, it's not so ancient history that they're not around anymore. There's that first generation is pretty much dying off now. But I just like how it it provides one point of view that's very educated on the subject, you know, as it's, 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 it's his take on things, or at least his take on what he thinks, uh, you know, how, how sort of certain people, uh, you know, saw it and how they went through it. And the fact that like he uses, this will, this will be the first time today, but not the last time today I say something that may be considered to be politically incorrect, but here I go. Howard Chaykin came under attack for things that people said he was insensitive about, but this underlying theme of his work always seems to be that, you know, like he's on your side from an ideological standpoint. Like mm-hmm. he, you know, I can't think of the dude's name, but the black guy, the his artist, Ted Whitman. Yeah, there's a constant undercurrent of racism that he is having none of. Yep. And 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 Chaykin didn't just make a point to uh, mention it once and be like, have a moment. It, he keeps going back to it over and over again because this is a thing that Ted has had to deal with his entire life, his entire career, and that is so poignant to me in an industry that was very homogenous both in the creators and in the the audience and this was the thing that people had to deal with and he makes a point to push to that and and part of it is that you know these guys are like rough guys who grew up in new york city and this jew that and that homo that and it's how they talked mm-hmm. it's literally how those people talked and he's it's 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 almost journalistic in that way I, and i just like what he's doing here and I, I find it really interesting and i think i was to read it all at once the who's and the names would become more clear but he's also i think he was making more of a point to do so this week or this month uh he he definitely made sure to call out people by their name he gave you a roll call in the beginning well the roll call is always there but I, yeah because i'm constantly flipping back to it i think i yes. just, i think i just wish there was a more linear story happening maybe i like it like this because he's covering a lot of ground this way and it and as long as you're getting sort of those themes across, and I also think if you were to read them like right in a row, it wouldn't be the same problem. Yeah, I, I have a hard time keeping track of like. Sure, I do too. Like I think I didn't I didn't realize till this issue that Ray Clark was the Gil Kane character until. But like he's been there, he's been there the whole time. Obviously, he's one of yes. the three main characters. But I think I did. I think we said that before. Because at one point, uh, somebody said like, "Oh, he draws everybody like they're gay," and I was like, "Stanley said that about Gil Kane." And so they, he gave you that clue before. And then the stealing art, 
which mm-hmm. is a thing that people accused him of. I don't know if it's true. I loved all of that. I thought that was great. What's funny though is that for he was at first he was like one of the heroes of the story, quote yeah, unquote. Yeah. And in this, it became much more gray. I liked that too. Was this the first time we had the appearance of the Bob Kane analog? I think so, because I or at least I noticed it this time. Okay. The 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 what's the the midnight mid midnight, yeah, midnight. Ron Fogel who can't actually write or draw anything his name's on. <laughs> I mean, just that roll call in the beginning is great. It, it cuts. It pulls no punches. It's like, no, no. This is what it is. Like the explanations, and I, 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 I just dug it. Every time I think, am I gonna be? Am I gonna enjoy this? And at the end, like I laughed out loud a couple of times. Like I, I, I really. But this is this is the thing that I am super interested in. Like he's he's hitting all. No, of the I, I am too. I just I just wish there was a more cohesive story as opposed to just small vignettes that I have to keep remembering who everybody is every time, which is hard. Mm-hmm. The timing in this issue was unfortunate, just because. <laughs> It was so but focused. No, on, it was, no it would, I mean, sure. Yeah, I know what you mean. If it was focused on the Stanley character and and how not great he was, that's not not that it's not true in some ways, and we'll talk about that later. But sure. unfortunate timing to read this two days after he died. It, I, yeah, it's fine. I, okay, yeah, I, fine. I get that. I mean, I know all that stuff, so it's not. It was a surprise. It, it was very focused on this issue. It was just the timing was was interesting. Mm-hmm. The Amazing Spider-Man number nine. I wanted to talk about because before we had complained that. Black Cat being turned into a crime boss in other in other books didn't really make sense mm-hmm. for the character. Didn't really do, do her character any service, and so here she's back to being Black Cat. I thought this was a terrific issue. Yeah, it was a di- very different flair. I was like, wait a minute, are we are we still the same team here? Like, is it it's still Nick Spencer? And I'm like, yeah, it is. It, it was it felt very um traditional, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a Domerera line forever ago like a stand-up i don't mean that in a bad way but then he would say something horrible <laughs> anyway um there's there's your 80s stand-up uh moment for everyone yeah i i, I dug it it was fun uh i, I like that it was a subtle recorrection of where black cat was at and not 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 bang you over the head not screw everybody else but subtle yeah i mean the the, the mary jane and carly cooper scenes where and then where peter's ex the cop who Mm-hmm. Is back in town, and I had to look her up because I didn't read the Dan Slot thing. Yeah, she was one of the. It was their relationship that really drove me off that book. Cause it was so unbelievable. Uh, he she convinces Mary Jane to go to a support group for people who love superheroes, and I thought that was an interesting idea. And then she goes, and Jarvis runs it, and there's some people you definitely can recognize. Foggy's there, and Genki's yeah. there, and uh, who else is there? Uh, uh, I, I remember I figured out three of them, but I don't remember. And th- anyway, the point is that. Yeah. Uh, that was interesting. Although I thought the art, Michelle Bandini art, was good, but didn't fit the book mm-hmm. because yeah. between Ryan Otley and Humberto Ramos, you've got some really genre pushing, uh, defining art. And she, she's just a very standard, talented artist, but just didn't fit. Didn't it came off as it came off as flatter than I think it should because it was compared to Ramos. Sure, I get that. I liked the issue a lot, though. It was another really good issue I read. Yeah, it was fun. Uncanny X-Men number one, the reboot has happened even though the storyline leading to the reboot hasn't finished yet, which is a common thing with Marvel. Ed Brissett, Matthew Rosenberg, Kelly Thompson all shared the writing duties. Mahmoud Asrar did the art. And it was it was good. It was fine. <laughs> I, so I just want to mention, because it, it is a big release, clearly the young, event, young X-Men are going to be gone because they weren't in the story at all. So now that we have the end of Extinction spoiled. It was a resetting. There's a lot of, what's his name, uh, Jamie Madrox in this, even though we just had a miniseries all about him. It was fine. I'll just That's my review. It was fine. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, it's one of those things, like, is it good, good, or is it good for X-Men people, or is it fine? It sounds like, like I don't know it's what the fine. X-Men people thought. 
Yeah, Ron seemed to like it. Our, our old co-host, X-Men fan Ron. I mean, it was good. I'm going to read more. It, it just it didn't blow my doors off in a week that a lot of comics did. And sure. it wasn't. it certainly wasn't bad. It was fine. Yeah. It was fine. Yeah. That's, that's, not, that's not, not necessarily going to be everybody's thing. No, it was fine. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, but what are you saying, though? <laughs> uh, over at Image Comics, the, uh, Image Image put a lot of stuff out this week. Yes. I read Bitterroot number one, um, mm-hmm. written by uh, David F. Walker. I, and I think I had a little hard time pinning Chuck, down. But Chuck Brown was the, was the co-writer. Chuck Brown was the co-writer, and then Sanford Green did the art. Mm-hmm. And the, or yeah, yep. And the, you may remember that team from uh, Iron Fist and Power Man. Was that what it was called? Power Man, Iron Fist was David Walker and Sanford Green without Chuck Brown, right? Which we really liked a lot. Yes. And so I started to read this one, and it it's let's see. I'm not what you look. Tell me what the year is, but I will explain the rest of it. Okay. Up in Harlem. It, a time that is not now. I'm guessing the 40s, maybe during I, the Harlem I, I Renaissance. I just scrolled away when you told me to look, so I'm scrolling back. Okay. Is Harlem 1924. 24. Yeah, yeah. Harlem Renaissance. We've got a story of it sort of taking place in the early jazz age, but you've got a, a bunch of uh, African-American characters who are presumably somewhat involved with maybe not voodoo, but some sort of uh, supernatural stuff. And there's a, a bunch of characters uh, that we're getting introduced to it's hard to it, uh, I'm trying to explain it because I don't know that I can. There's clearly a thing going on right now. We, we, we've talked about it before in, in comics, not just an image, but it, it's very prevalent in image where there's a lot of stories about one group and it's centuries long struggle with monsters of some sort. Okay. Yeah. That, there's sort and of that's this. basically what this is. We had this, we had that recently with another book we just read and obviously it's American vampire thing, but right, right, right. It's, it just felt very similar to it's like okay so it's another family who secretly has been fighting yes but it, it, like you're the, right on that in terms of I don't know I don't remember and I would spend too much time thinking about it but there Witches. were things I yes there were things I liked about this that as I went through it I liked it more so at first it felt a little standard but then I remembered the thing that I had liked about Power Man and Iron Fist was this voice mm-hmm. that that Walker and Chuck Brown they've got a thing going on and the art has an energy to it I really liked the mix of characters that had come up with uh, there's a guy who uses way too many big words and he's really big and strong and and there's a there's a woman and she wants to go out and fight but too many people have been killed and so her grandmother won't let her but she's super tough and then we cut to a, a clan hanging which is horrendous lynching yeah where uh you know like some people come out of the woods and and save rob guillory <laughs> <laughs> sorry uh, that's that's why I thought I was like, oh, it looks like Rob. There's a lot of stuff going on. This is the first issue, and we we haven't really been introduced, but there is a flavor to it that, is, that I like a lot. I like a story that's being told uh, by black creators that takes place in Harlem during the Harlem Renaissance, um, and and it interested me. And even and even on like on the surface, I would feel like I have read a lot of this, but I liked it. And I, I like the coloring, like the production of it. the whole thing is really nice. Yeah, really cool book. Well, they're a great team. I didn't love it, but I'm gonna check the second issue out. Yeah, I like. I didn't love love it, but as I went through it, by the time I got to the end, I was I was I was hooked in. I was like, oh, this is a thing. I just think I don't know, there's a different voice there that I'm used to reading, and mm-hmm. and I, and I want more of that. Oh God, Star Wars corners back. It's been Star so long. Wars, 
Yeah, I, w- I won't hang out in Star Wars Corner for very long, but I do feel that it's commendable that I really, really enjoyed Kieran Gillen's Darth Vader run. And they switched over to Charles Soule, and it became a different book. And now I guess we're 23 issues into that book. Um, Giuseppe Camicoli uh, did breakdowns on this, and Daniel or- Orlandini uh, did the finishes on it. But uh, mostly it's been Camicoli, uh, and it's been – like it's really good. He's I really like him. I've liked his work for a really long time. But what we have here – is uh, the building of Darth like this? I know, we're several issues into the building of Darth Vader's fortress slash castle on Mustafar. Mustafar being the 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 planet where uh, he had the fight with Obi Wan that right. he lost his legs and whatever, and he was the chosen one, and he has the high ground and blah blah blah. And and like there's an old Jedi artifact that they found a Sith architect. Uh, who then takes, you know, uses this enchanted mask to take over the body, used a robot body for a while, and then took over the body of a, a, a random stormtrooper to sort of build the castle for Darth Vader. And like, so I think they build like eight fortresses in this. It's mm. like, nope, not that one. Nope. How about the, it was like a comedy bit? It's, it's, I don't know why, but for this entire time they've been doing Darth Vader comics, which is the one thing that should not work, they have been thoroughly uh, entertaining. And I don't take them seriously. Because they're just sort of – they're a little silly to begin with. What um, is it about Darth Vader do you think? I mean I, I, I obviously – I <laughs> that sounds like I don't know anything about Darth Vader. But what is it about him as a comic book protagonist that you think works so well? I think it's very similar to the Punisher, mm-hmm. uh, the classic Punisher. And he was a character who really didn't have a ton of personality. He was just driven and he was utterly competent and you just watch things happen around them. And, they, you know, like the Punisher never lost. Right. Darth Vader never loses. Now, I know that he's the bad guy, and in the Star Wars movie, Darth Vader does lose, and he's, you know, he's redeemable, and that's his story. But that's not his stories in these books. These stories, it's it's the story of this unstoppable force right? Uh, as you watch other people try to deal with it. And I think that is what is interesting. And they all – everyone else always, always loses. And even when Vader appears to lose, he's he's like, all right, I'll just keep going. Like he's never phased. There's this – even whether he's a bad guy or not, there's this unflappable confidence to him. Where are you in the timeline at this point? Uh, it's. I think it's – I mean it's obviously before Jedi. Um, no, because well, the book was the, these books were all originally set between A New Hope and Empire Strikes I think, Back. I think it still is. It might be a little earlier though, because basically he told the Emperor he's trying to figure out how to how to know the Force better, know the dark side better. So he tells the Emperor, "I'm going to build a fortress over on here." So it's it's I, it could be before it could be before New Hope, but I'm Vader out. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. So that was Star Wars it's Corner. Uh, those are the books you want to talk about. If you go to fmboy.com, you can find the post for the show and talk about other books you read. But let's talk about the patron pick over at patreon.com slash ifanboy every week. Every patron gets to vote to add a book to the rundown. We had a lot of votes this week as evidenced by all the comics that came out. A record number of books where we've got votes. But, of course, on a week where we had a ton of comics, as a goddamn tie. Of course it was. I mean, you people should understand our commitment to you and that we even <laughs> told you that. Right. We could lie. But no, it was a tie. So we're talking about two books. The first being William Gibson's Aliens 3, number one. A story by William Gibson written and drawn by Johnny Christmas. Very appropriately uh, named Johnny Christmas. Who you will remember from, I remember the series, but I remember the title. Give me a minute and I will, I will we talked about it. Colors are Tamara Bonvillon. Letters, Nate Picos. So if, if you don't know... Alien 3, Aliens 3, Alien 3? Is it Alien? It's Alien Alien, 3. Alien Alien 3. 3. I have it wrong in the script. Alien 3. 
was the obviously the third movie in the Aliens series. It was a very troubled production after the first two films were huge successes. James Cameron did the sequel to the, the uh, Ridley Scott original. Uh, Alien 3 was first commissioned to be written by William Gibson, who was a hot cyberpunk writer. The script, they didn't really like it, so they mothballed it, and they ended up going with another script about a prison planet. It was directed by David Fincher, and I saw it once and never thought about it again. So then over the years, over the decades, the lore built around this William Gibson script that never got made. And so now Dark Horse is doing a miniseries adaptation of it. couple of points to make. Mm-hmm. You should go watch Alien 3 again. It's crazy shit balls and it's totally a david fincher movie and it's weird and it's not necessarily good as an aliens movie but it's interesting and it's worth watching i've watched it a couple of times well you're you're a fanatic fincher fanatic i am i just remember being utterly bored by it right but how long ago was that when i was whenever it came out when I was right so now but now you're gonna go back and you'll be like holy shit it's uh it's that guy from game of thrones i didn't know he was in this you're gonna do that that's fun and then Rock, Rock is in it for some reason. Or am I mixing up that with four? What's interesting about this script or this story is that it's more of a direct sequel to Aliens. Uh, you- yes, but it's in the style of Alien. Like that's what I felt like when I when I started reading it. I was well, like, the point the point being like the third one ventured way way off yeah. course, whereas yeah. this one basically literally takes place not long after the yeah. last the, the second film, the ship. Uh, the, everybody from the first, you know, the second film, who's still alive at the end, like it's it's a little bit direct. It's a direct sequel, whereas Alien Three, the one they made, was more much much different. Continue, right? Uh, to me, though, like you, you can always say, like, oh, the Alien Alien, is, it feels like that sort of slow burn, quiet, yeah. scary art film horror movie. Aliens Two is is action adventure with aliens. Game over, man. Yeah, this uh, and they're both brilliant. I love them. Alien, 1978 Alien is is a genuine masterpiece of film. Aliens is like a great, great, great action-adventure movie. I don't know this necessarily should be taught in film school, but like wonderful. They're very different things, though. Yeah. As opposed to like Jaws and Jaws 2, which only one of which exists. (laughs) But this to me felt like it was definitely continuing on the story from Aliens. Mm -hmm. I mean, it absolutely was. There There were strings. But it felt a lot more like alien it felt quiet it felt contained it felt scary it felt you know like you were just yeah. in one little place um it wasn't a big cast of things the only thing that was like i was struggling to remember like wait who are they talking about here that doesn't yeah. bother me but it was a little like oh you really have to kind of know alien to get all of this oh yeah i, I had to go back because obviously a big fan of the films but i haven't seen them in a, since prometheus came out when i got excited for and then got my hope, hopes dashed by prometheus and then also by alien covenant so I had to go back and sort of reread the, the, the synopsis of the end just to remember who had survived and just to make sure that was the same ship, and it, was, it all was. Yeah. I did really enjoy this, and I think Johnny Christmas is really good. Yeah, he did a great adaptation. If he's taking that screenplay and making it into a comic, I was like, this is excellent work. I really, I really like saying his name, too. Yeah, sure. The only thing I had a problem with, this is just my own thing, is I, for some reason, in text form, I have a much harder time with like deep sci-fi gobbledygook. Than I do really? well, in movies. So, like, when there's a, there's a lot of discussions about due to navigational software failure, Sulaco has entered territory claim. But like, it's just a lot of hard reading. I I I agree with that, and I think that there was the bit was is it the IPP or whatever it is yeah, they're referring to? UPP. Like, we don't know what that is. I don't think that's in the movies. No, it's not. It was written by the script. It's basically William Gibson described the script later on as Marxist in space. Okay. So there's like a, Oh yeah, I see that. I can see that right away. The Union of Progressive Peoples is sort of the the uh, communist uh, side okay. of the space people. 
my only other problem was uh, we see like the there's some of the characters from from aliens in here, um, and it's not entirely clear whoever was so the end of it. And again, I have again I haven't seen aliens in a little while and paid attention to it. The reveal at the end of that one marine who's in there with the burnt face, I I, I was like, wait, who's that supposed to be? Yeah, that's I didn't know that. I mean, obviously there's the Lance Henriksen rope. Uh, Android is there, and obviously Ripley shows up, and the little girl. Beyond that, I don't remember there anybody else is who survived. So I have to. I have to, I, I should watch it. I don't have time to watch it. I mean, yeah, you should always watch it. I have a lot of I, other things to like, do. Yeah, but you're right. So I know, like you know, you had um, Paxton. I was like, well, that's not him, and I don't think it's Michael Bean because I think he. Was oh, you know, it is. I think it is Michael Bean. Do we? It I doesn't look it like Michael Bean. Well, it doesn't look like Michael Bean. Yeah, but I think that's who it is. Got his face burned by the acid. I, now, I, see, I haven't watched it long enough that I have to check. That I'm, out. I'm, I'm ninety percent sure it is Michael Bean. Well, that's interesting. There's a ten percent doubt, though. Anyway, I wasn't going to read this. I'm glad I did. Uh, I enjoyed yeah. it. We'll do do the ratings now or at the end. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, do it at the end. Do it at the end. Do it at the end. Let's move on. All right, the next book that the Patriots picked was Wonder Woman number 58, featuring the new creative team, G. Willow Wilson, the writer of Miss Marvel, and Carrie Nord, the longtime sort of journeyman comic creator whose art I've always really liked. Mick Gray and Inks, Romulo Fio... I'm just going to apologize. Romulo Fajardo Jr. Correct. And Pat Brousseau on on letters. You can pronounce pronounce the French name, but you can't do... Whatever Farhado is, Latin or something. I, I, I took a lot of French. Actually, I was putting an R in there. It's not unless you left the R out. Fia, fia. All right, let's move on. Romulo is a fucking great name. Though. It is a great name. I really like this. And it's tough because I, there hasn't been a really good Wonder Woman comic since since Azarello and Chang. And I, I would even say there hasn't been a good Wonder Woman comic since then. And I've been really trying because I was all jazzed up after the movie and I would was really surprised that they didn't do like a full-on like prestige reboot of the book. And they just kept going with who was working on it, and they had various people working on it, and they were all sort of fine. Yeah. They weren't bad. No. This was the first issue felt like a bit of uh, wit and personality. I don't mean funny. I just mean like this doesn't feel like a standard. Like Carrie Nord's style isn't your house style. It has yeah. personality to it. It has life to it. Uh, G. Willow Wilson's obviously a super talented writer, and I've liked the, the, the sort of angle she's going at here in which uh uh the god of war has escaped his prison from uh which the amazons had, had hidden him along with Darkseid's daughter grail mm-hmm. uh, steve trevor's in trouble and so wonder woman breaks the rules to go help him and turns out Ares is inside of steve's body I, there's just a lot of interesting things here I, I, I liked wonder woman a lot in it i liked her personality she had some yep it was fun. I really like looking at it. I really like Harry Nord's art. He's he's a guy who was worked a lot in the 90s. Did he do Red? I think he did the original yeah, I, Red you know, series. I recognize the name, but I didn't know from where. I was like, I've seen that name. And I was expecting it when I opened to be like another kind of, you know, kind of standardish guy. Like um, who did uh, the Green Lantern? Um, Which one are you talking about? The Green Lantern from Oh, week. Oh, uh, the, uh, yes. I think yeah. I kind of expected it to be like that kind of style of art, and it was more expressive. And I was I was pleasantly like, "Oh right, oh, this is good. I like this." Yeah, I, like I basically finished it up, and I went, "Oh, that was great!" Like I really, I and I said it out loud. I was like, oh, "That was great!" Like I was, and I was. I don't want to say I was surprised, but with Wonder Woman, you kind of always expect things to be. Yeah, pretty Karen good. Noah did a lot of Daredevil. Okay, 
in the three hundreds. So that was in ninety uh, six, like the nineties. He did he did a good run on Daredevil with JMD Matias, and he just he just one of those guys. He's kicked around. He's been kicking around since the early nineties, and and has drawn basically everything. Yeah, I like his stuff a lot. Yeah, it was good, and I thought that G Willow Wilson. I don't I don't know. Do I call her G? I don't know. And when you say G Willow Wilson, it sounds like it's like Wee Willy Winky, which is <laughs> I have to say it like that. I think she struck a really specific tone and chord of. Definitely, like, there were soft references to the movie version, mm-hmm. like her jumping into a battle. I was like, yeah. oh, that's that's her thing. Uh, but, but you know, like you said Wonder Woman had a personality. I think that's correct. Wonder Woman had a point of view. I think at this point in time and in history, a woman writing this character who knows how to do it is going to put stuff in there that a, a man might, might not necessarily be able to. And this should have been the issue that was on stands after the movie came out. And I realized that all of the movie caught everybody by surprise mm-hmm. and it would turn into this global sure. phenomenon that no one thought realized. But this should have been the first issue that was on the stands that people could have, I, I realize this, this doesn't happen really anymore in any mm-hmm. kind of real way, but this no. should have been the, the comic that uh, a young girl could have walked into a comic store after seeing the movie and picked up and read. This should have been it. Yeah. And, and, and this, this moves me to my second possibly not politically correct statement of the day. Oh boy. And I was thinking about this. Nah, it's not really that bad. It feels like it's important to have a woman writing this. Mm-hmm. And then like in the same way that we were just talking about Bitter Root, it feels like it's important to have black creators writing that right now as that voice. Now, that seems to be counter to the idea that a writer should be able to write. You know, any writer should be able to write any character or whatever. I don't think they're mutually exclusive ideas. I don't either. And I just think it's an interesting thing to sort of mull around in your head. But the fact is, the the, the point of it, coming away from it, is that uh, after Ms. Marvel and after this and some of the other stuff that G. Willow Wilson is writing, I read this and I thought she should just be writing superhero comics. Mm -hmm. That isn't to say she shouldn't be writing Wonder Woman because I think that her point of view, which which is actually as a a Muslim woman Mm -hmm. who's writing this character – I think gives it an edge. It gives it something that this is the same thing I talk about. It's a unique voice than what I'm used to hearing, which is what I'm used to hearing is, you know, 40 year old educated white men or right. 40, 50, 50, 60, you know, like, and they're I, obviously I can relate to that, but there's just a little thing here that just gives it a little twist that to me makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not even a diversity argument. It's just a, it's, it's not a diversity of, of, uh, demographics, of but yeah, diversity of thought. Exactly. And that to me, that's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's how that's how you get interesting. Um, but I, I got to this and I was like, you know, she, you know what from what I just read here, you know, she could there's no reason that she couldn't write Justice League, but they're not going to put her on that unless oh, this is a monster. Right. But unless it's a monster monster hit. But I was like, this is just a good superhero comic. And, you know, like in Darwin could write Wonder Woman. You know, mm-hmm. this is the only other one I can think of who is, you know, great at it semi recently. Azarello's was a little less about her being, you know, a woman. This had, but this had a flavor to it and a feel, which really appreciate, but didn't feel out of place at all. It didn't feel there was not a preachiness to it. There was not a political agenda. There was just a point of view, which is different. It was good. It was very good. It was great. Let's do ratings. William Gibson's Alien Three, number one out of five. Oh, I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it. This is gonna sound somewhat low. I'm gonna give it three point five only because, as you mentioned. I had some problems like who, which character is that supposed to be again? Who is mm-hmm. that supposed to like there was, and if you're supposed to be recognizing these people, then they should have done a better job of either listing their names or something. So I'm just going to give it a 3.5. I did really like it. I am, and I am going to continue with it, which I wouldn't have done if I hadn't had read it from the patrons. I am going to go with 3.75. Repeating? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think 3.5 feels too low, but four seems too high. <laughs> 
That's why I'm there. That's fair. Like like Gabe Gabe Hardman's alien stuff. That's a four. It yes. moves. You just yes. go with it. That was Gabe's stuff is more like aliens. I right. feel like. Whereas this was more like alien. Both good. And I will still read it. Uh, Wonder Woman. I am gonna go with four and a quarter stars. That feels accurate. I'm gonna I'll, I'll go with you on that. Four point two five. Yeah, but pretty good. Certainly very good for a Wonder Woman first. Very good, and I, I encourage anyone who uh, enjoys Wonder Woman and has been not been thrilled with the comics to check it out. It was very good. And, and this is one that, if I, this is this is my version of, if you guys hadn't picked this as the thing or hadn't tied, I don't know that I would have read it, and I'm glad that I did. I was yeah, I'm glad it. you did too. I, mean, I, I was going to talk about it in the rundown if it hadn't been picked because I did read it. I wanted to talk about it, but I'm glad you had to read it to talk, find out that it was very good. Yeah. All right, so there you go. Patreon picks, patreon.com slash ifanboy. Any, any patron can vote on those. But if you give it the $5 or higher level, we'd like to thank you on the show live by giving you a superpower of varying utility. <laughs> that's, that's very well put. That's, that's your own superpower right there. Uh, <laughs> Let's thank Eric Fisher. And Eric Fisher has the power to rewind time three seconds. And I just counted out three. Are we there? <laughs> so it's like having that button on your remote control, like on the TiVo or on your DVR, that lets you go back three or four seconds. Mm-hmm. He can do that, but to the world. You have uh, in your world, you have a couple of uh, newer-ish vehicles, right? Yes, I, mean, I, not do. Like, I do. Like more, so when I got my truck, the stereo, the radio has like a, like a TiVo function on it. Oh, really? Really? Which, Blue, that should be, you guys have that Toyota. Yours might have that if you have the Entune thing. No, the, to, the Toyota is not that new. Okay. It, I was like, oh my God. And as an NPR listener, I was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> so I don't know how that, how that, you can see how that relates to what you just said. Yeah. But uh, it's it's a moment. I was like, and I rarely use it, but the fact that it's there just blows my mind. And it shouldn't. It's just recording a very simple, you know, small audio stream. But there it is. The thing about three seconds or four seconds, we'll say three, it's not really enough time to really change something major. But it's a, like if something just you just fuck some, you drop something or whatever, like yeah, it's just enough, dish, just enough time to smash your finger. Yeah. So Eric can do that to the world. He he can he you do stays. that thing where you snap backwards and then like snap backwards and you snap backwards again so you can keep moving backwards in three second increments, which really becomes two second increments. It's back it up like 30, 40 seconds. He can only do it once. Okay, at a time. That's a good call. Yeah. So there you go. Eric Fisher. Just get very, very, very slowly and methodically get back to junior high right. and talk to that girl. <laughs> <laughs> and not mess it up this time. No. No. Oh, God. I just, I'm having a moment. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is a little more difficult, but I have to name, I have to name powers for Dead Zone the podcast. Yeah. Dead Zone the podcast. I wonder how many people that is. And all of it's. Or maybe even just one, but any of its any of its uh, on air talent. Mm-hmm. They have Tyrannosaurus legs. They have Tyrannosaurus legs. Tyrannosaurus legs, and I have been vacillating on whether they should be proportional to a human body or they should be Tyrannosaurus sized. But well, you've really, go- you've really, I mean, beyond the obvious of messing up their lives, you've if you make the Tyrannosaurus lives, you've really messed up their lives. Sort of, but. Also, they they can they can make perfect concentric uh, circles vibrate into water. <laughs> I think they should have human size legs. Because they can yeah, still do the circles. Human proportional, but but tyrannosaurus legs. Just no no pants. And, and, 
And there's yeah, they don't need pants. No, and that that comes with the tail. I'm gonna just they're like Tyrannosaurus centaurs. I'm gonna go ahead and give it that. And I, I'm telling you this right now. Any comic book artist right there who's listening to this right now went, I want to draw that. I know. So on the one hand, you might think this is a curse, but on the other hand, you've got really powerful legs now. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. You can really impress at the gym with the with your leg presses. There are benefits. Yeah, there yeah. are definitely benefits. Betting is an issue, but whatever. Uh, Ryan's not here, so I don't even know what the deal with the dinosaur genitalia is, but that's got to be affected as well. Do we even know? Did any of the did their bits survive? <laughs> he might. Next time he's on the show, we'll find out. Or I can just text him after and find out that way. Mark Abnett can instantly and expertly package up anything. Ooh. And the materials just appear out of thin air. It's just wow. like boom, boom. Uh, just he could package up like if he literally had to ship something, he could package it up. But also he could like package up a person. They could uh-huh. find them. They could find themselves inside of a box, you know, wrapped up in bubble wrap. Did I do a shipping rate power once? A shipping rate power, possibly. Yeah, like I would know what it would cost to ship. Maybe I definitely is, did. This a is the downfall of of internet selling right here. Oh, it falls apart. That's the that's where it falls apart in the chain. Is yeah. is the 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 shipper? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. He can instantly package anything. So. No matter how complicated it is, what size of the item is, how fragile it is, if it's a human being, he, it's instantly perfectly packaged. Okay. No, nothing he ships will ever break, and any any evildoer he decides to package up for the cops will will still breathe but be, be immobilized. That's nice. Yeah. Bobby Baker has also got something going on uh, below the belt. Oh, no. In that when Bobby steps into an area that has snow or ice... Uh, it melts. <laughs> it's got snow melt, snow melt feet. Uh, and it's organic. It's biodegradable. There's no problem. It's not damaging. It doesn't harm the surface. So uh, he's not, driveway, he's not example. emitting heat. He's got like a melt in his feet, like a chemical. Oh, oh no, it's more like an energy wave. I see. Which I guess, you know, isn't heat per se, but it breaks up, uh, those frozen molecules. And it only works on ice and snow? Yeah. Frozen, frozen liquids. Frozen. I mean, so it could be other things. Like he could, he could stand on, you know, like a like a like a cube of dry ice, and it would it would dissipate. That's also ice. Yeah. Well, that's true, but it's not water. It's it's frozen right. carbon dioxide. So he okay. All right. Interesting. I mean, it, it you know that being the case, there, there, maybe there should be a temperature range because a rock is technically ice, also. You know, but like we'll say that things that can be liquid at our sort of standard living temperatures. So you know, not dry ice then. Well, doesn't it melt if you it just melts put it into like, steam? Put, right, but but either way, but that's what it does at like a room temperature. But I don't think it ever and comes say you liquid. put a rock in your living room at room temperature, it will not melt, but a cube of dry ice will. I guess melt is technically correct. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. So those melt, are the powers. Yes. Eric dead's on the podcast. Mark Bobby. I am absolutely going to get a text from Ryan this week. So check. Thank you. Thank you for supporting us and enjoy your powers. Patreon.com slash iFanboys where you can get them if you want to support the show at the $5 or higher level and get your powers in the show. We are making our way through the list slowly but surely. It may not seem like it, but we are. And normally this is where we have a, a listener mail. I know we're already probably long. I can't tell, but I know we are. But we're going to talk about Stan Lee. Obviously, very sad week he, he passed. Although somebody asked me if I was really sad about it. And I thought, you know, it is sad, obviously, for him, for his family, for his friends, his colleagues. People know him. But also... I mean, he was a month shy of 96 years old. And I think at that point, it's always sad when someone dies, obviously. But it's also like he lived a full life. It wasn't like he, he was a 35-year-old man who dropped dead. He lived the full, almost century-long life. Yeah, he was a 65-year-old man who dropped yeah. dead. He got a good run. 
I think that's a really good question because my first instinct wasn't to be sad and I didn't I did not shed a tear. And and this is not a person to whom I am not attached in many ways, both as an icon and just personally as a as a sort of experience in my life. But I think you're right. Like I don't feel like I was sad about it because I feel like, like it was a it was a life, man. You know, and also like his wife had died a couple of years ago yeah, and I don't yeah. and, and his story kept getting sadder and I just, you know, I'd hear that he was still at shows yep. and I thought that can't be, I don't know. I, I, you know what? I'm actually, as we go through whatever this is going to be now, he's a man of startling contradictions internally and externally. So I do have the thought like, why is he still going to shows? He's not going to be wanting to do that. And then I think actually maybe he does. Like I, I can, I can see it either way. But obviously he's the last big legend from the original, not the original era, because were before him, but from the original, you know, golden age, golden age renaissance, which was really sort of the silver age. <laughs> Right, but he was in the Golden Age. Yeah, so. the original, you know, obviously Marvel people, I think he was being mischaracterized in, in the news, but it doesn't really matter. He's the person responsible, along with other, a lot of other people, for shaping the comics you're reading now. He's the last one alive from that era. Um, you know, Steve Ditko died earlier, and obviously Kirby died a long time ago. To many people in the world, he is comics, and that was probably the big thing, is that he was the immortal symbol of comic books. No matter to, to what... Anyone- yeah, to anyone our age and probably above and below that, he's the first comic creator you were ever aware of by far. Right, but even even then the movies have made turned him into this icon. Even he was always an icon, but the movies yeah. really turned him into an icon. And people everyone everyone has seen those movies and everyone knows knew who he was. He was the symbol. When you thought of comic books, you thought of Stanley. Anytime anyone who didn't know anything about comic books knew talked to you about it, it was always something about Stanley because he was the the living symbol of it. And for us he was always that because he narrated the cartoons. He did the yes. Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends intro, and like he was, he was always, he was uh, Stan Soapbox and the Stan and Soapbox, absolutely. Even if he wasn't making the books, you thought he was was you were a kid because his name was on everything, and he was Stanley presents Spider-Man, and you thought it was he was doing it, and he he turned himself rather cannily into the face of comics, Which not is just his Marvel comics, yeah. And 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 I think that that's right there where you get a lot of the quote unquote obituaries got it wrong because like they credit him as the creator of Marvel Comics or sometimes the sole creator of all these characters or whatever, and he had a hand in it, but large larger than that I think was his his giving a personality to comics as a community as a whole you know through Marvel Comics but also just as a a sort of symbol and an attitude that I think pervades today. Mm-hmm. Which is the way that he did that. I don't know how much of it was cunning or craftiness, but it was brilliant in the end, one way or another. Whether he was just sort of, you know, following his instincts or what. Yeah. He lived a fascinating life. And you mentioned this on social media. There are a handful of really good books about it. If you don't know about Stanley beyond just the image, the smiling court jester of comics, Mm -hmm. the ambassador of comics, you should really read him because. We can still celebrate and and mourn and and also recognize that there was a lot of things that were murky about his career and a lot of things he may not like and and that's going to be true about anybody in the world. I, I mean, that's the thing that's interesting about it. it just just if you're if you're paying attention, the yeah. books are. Uh, the, the, I'd recommend Stand the Man by Tom Spurgeon and I forget who the other the co-author was, or um, Tales for Astonished by Ronan Rowe or Sean Howe's uh, The Untold Story of Marvel Comics. All of those help paint a picture, which – and I've read all of them and more, and I can't make my mind up about Stanley. It's not even in a bad way that he's a lot of things, as, yeah. as was Jack Kirby. And and to cast him as a hero 
or a villain is wrong to cast him as both is wrong or either like he he's he's this singularity of a human who has affected if anybody who's affected by comics in their life has been affected by him and you know he did a lot of things that were really good and and he may well have done things that weren't great but i tend to feel like a lot of those things that weren't great were him being pretty damn human and trying to find a way to express that i think he's a very complex and interesting person and the fact is that ambassador thing that face of comics thing that is a very small part of who he was and he's actually fairly protective of the rest of it um i always think of the fact that when people talk about him from the era of the 60s, you know, those a lot of those bullpen folks in the comic, they would go out together and they would have drinks and they would hang out and Stan would go, but he would sort of sit on his own and he would leave early. And I always think of that like he was not part of that group. Mm-hmm. He was separate from that. He was, well, he was the boss. He was, but also, you know, but Roy Thomas went and did that stuff. You know, like he just I felt like he he. There's a I'm so like poetically unnecessary, but there's a bit of a longing about him mm-hmm. that I don't think was ever resolved. Well, he always he always wanted to be more than a comic yeah. writer, and that was dealt with this week in Hey Kids Comics when he he went out to try to sell his novel. But yep. when he was making the comics, the comics weren't a, a, a thing to be proud of mm-hmm. or to even brag about. It was sort of things just you did until your novel got sold or you you got a different writing job or worked in a magazine. So I think that you probably never shake that, even as you get older and comics become this global phenomenon, and not the comics but the characters, and, and you become a global phenomenon. I think the, it's hard to shake. Most people haven't shaken high school. You know, It's hard to shake yeah. that initial disappointment in your professional life, in your personal life. It's, it's always sort of sticks with you in the back of your mind. I don't know that it did with him because he said he was very personal. I mean, we, we've met him many times. We interviewed him quite a few times for iFanboy. We just, as I said, we've posted a long interview we did with him on video. We did a... I don't know, four or five interviews with him in, over the years. But, you know, you don't ever know him. He doesn't ever know you. But I, he did know some people. And I, we know somebody he did kind of know. And I talk, remember talking to them. The, the, the Stanley documentary that came out, I don't know, six years ago. We were at the, the premiere for it here in L.A. And uh, he was like, you know, Stan doesn't remember any of it. And this was six or seven years ago. He's like, he has his stock stories. And he, but he you know, he can't, you can't press him for the details. He doesn't remember them. He's just been, it's been too long. His memory's starting to go. And there's so much of it, too. Where we do have a bit of a unique perspective on this is that I've met him several times over the last, I want to say the first time was 15, 16 years ago, maybe a little more than that. I interviewed him for a TV show, and mm-hmm. this was sort of just after comic book movies were starting to take off. He'd made a couple of cameos, not really like, – people knew him, right. but almost more at that point from – if you weren't a comics person, you knew him because of the Stanley media stories or something right. like that. Uh, and then 11 – or 10 years ago – a little over that, we all went to his office and interviewed him for the first time. We did it several times after that. And well, that wasn't the first time. The first time was that really quick one we did at New York Comic Con. Okay, yeah, you're right. But then when we right, but either way, that when we went to his office and interviewed him there, that was like that was a really special thing for me and you. And like I, that that and I, I wasn't even exaggerating. When I said that's the high point of my fanboy career. That day was about. I was like, we were we're doing this thing. It was a really big deal for me. But the point that I wanted to make though is that when we were in that room with him. And any times I've been in that room with him, he might have just been telling reeling off stock stories. But, boy, it felt like, you know, we were connecting. It felt like we were talking. He made you feel good about yourself. Well, that was one of his main gifts, I think. Yeah, and, and but, like, I also remember, so in the when I interviewed him for that TV show I used to work on, 
2002. I want to say it's two. You know, like I, I put him on. We were doing, we were doing a, a mini documentary about uh, the guy who climbed the outside of the World Trade Center in a Spider-Man suit. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, one thing that I would do is I would figure out how to get interviews with people who would be germane to the show, who, who I also wanted to meet. And so that was the first. I was like, you know, I want to call Stan Lee. I bet he'll do it. And so we went there and we interviewed him. And I didn't do the interview, but I set the whole thing up. And like a couple of weeks later, I got a handwritten thank you note from him. And it was him. It was his. Yeah. It was his handwriting. It wasn't a you know a Xerox from. And I just thought, wow, what a freaking class move. And I was. I, I am, but boy, I was really nobody at that point. And you're right, that's his gift. But he was he was a really genuine person to be around. I don't think he was. I don't think it's a fully faking thing. No, no, no. And I, there was a brief controversy a little bit after he died when the actor Army Hammer complained that everybody was posting photos of themselves with Stan. And I would genuinely agree with him about the idea of grieving yes. on social media tends to become a narcissistic exercise. However, I think it's different with Stan because I think part of his gift was that. People were really happy around him, and he was really happy about people who were happy around him. And I think that was what you saw in all those photos with people. And those photos are genuine big moments in those people's lives. And if that's how they relate to that, I mean, I did it. We did it. Like it, right? Because I, I, because I think that was kind of what he gave was everyone who met him was extremely excited to meet him, and he got really he fed off that energy. And I think that was part of it. It wasn't just about posting a picture of Stan from the seventies in the bullpen. It was. This is what he gave to people was it a joy and you could see it in everyone, their faces. And so in, yeah. I really liked seeing all the photos of people with him because, you know, we know it. we've been there. He gets really happy about meeting people who are really happy about meeting him. And it's fun. It's super fun. Yeah, he, he really was like a, like a special thing. And it, it's interesting on that day that he died. <laughs> that was the best, most positive day I've ever seen on comic social media in a decade. Right. Which is really interesting because... Five years ago, comic social media was trying to take him down. You know, there was the there was the pro Kirby movement that really sort of manifested into a anti Lee movement. And to do that is to not understand Kirby or Lee, right? And but you recall that that was a thing for a yes. while, where it was like every mention of Stan Lee had was spit, and everyone was put, was was throwing Kirby on their shoulders, not wrongly, but mm-hmm. it it became this really weird discussion that wasn't. It, it just didn't. It felt wrong because it's a very gray area. Obviously, Kirby didn't get the he didn't get the respect and the, the rewards he should have. Obviously, but so did a, a lot of people didn't. Also, it, it is my opinion, somewhat educated, that Kirby didn't help himself in a lot of situations. That is another conversation, but he can take he has to take some of the responsibility too. But the point is, it was interesting to see that because not that long ago, people were really t- had the knives out for Stan. Yeah. And and it's still like a that's like a, a like a stupid punk rock kind of thing. Well, Stan was just like, but it's just not that simple. Yeah, that's the whole, I think that's the whole point of this is that you should absolutely celebrate it more. And even knowing there there may be things he did you didn't like or disagreed with, that's life. And learn from it. Yeah, I mean, like there's there's lessons to be learned from it. I don't think that Stan thought he was without without fault. And if you pay attention to everything Stan said, at least over the past decade plus, I mean, he used every chance he could to talk up the creators that he worked with and talk about their genius. He had he, he also had more of a, a hand in making a lot of those artists' household names along with himself. I mean, everybody got a nickname. Everybody got a personality. Yep. Everybody got a platform. And that that's He made them char- characters. I mean, he yes. turned... He turned the bullpen into characters, right? So that was what we, we we mentioned this earlier in the Stan soapbox, and you know you didn't know who was doing the DC comics. Mm-hmm. You saw the Bob Kane's name on Batman books, but he wasn't writing and drawing them. But right. what Stan did was he pulled the curtain back on Marvel and said, "Here's 
you knew the secretary's name. Like you knew everyone's name working on the books. As you said, they all had nicknames. They all had, they all had like personalities. They they would do caricatures of them. You knew who was making the books, and that's actually a major thing that he did that that, that happened because you didn't know they just sort of came out and you read them and could have been made by robots for all you knew. But now you knew who all these Marvel people were, and that continued on. You know now. You know, then the Ramitas came in, people of the second generation, Roy Thomas's, and he's, they all stuck with that of turning the Marvel creators into characters. And now everyone knows who everyone is involved in making the comics, and that was part of it as mm-hmm. well. A lot of things, we're not doing the show without Stanley. This, no, absolutely. There, there not, is 100%. not an industry like this without Stanley. For, for good or for bad, we're not doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's obviously sad for the industry, but like, like I said, a man who lived a full life, lived nearly 96 years. As I said to somebody, he, he was basically in overtime, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As I said, it's sad, obviously, but also it's like 96. Nice he, job. He, he did a good job. He really lived, yeah. he, he did the most of those 96 years. Yep. You know, pouring out for Stanley Martin Lieber. <laughs> and uh, he is Stan the Man. He'll always be Stan the Man, and then he's going to keep showing up in those movies. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna unca- uncanny valley him. They will eventually. I, I think, I, I believe they've shot some just generic cameos that they haven't used. That'll be a moment. I also know that he has been body scanned. Oh, boy. I didn't know that for a fact. Here's a fun fact. He's taller than you think. Yes, he is. He's very he's, tall. He, I, was, I was like, oh, he's like a big dude. <laughs> I just would, before we, start, before we, we wrap it up, I just would have mentioned that day we did go to his interview to interview him. The video we've just posted was incredible. Also because we've done this a lot. He had no handlers. Yeah, they literally, true. They put us in a room with Stan Lee by himself in his offices Four guys, it was was it four of us? There was three yeah. of you on camera. There was five of us because it was me and the other guy from TRS were off camera. Oh, David Briggs. Just us and Stan. And that's very unusual, especially for someone of his stature, to not even have like an assistant in the room or a publicist or someone. I mean, there was a really dark joke. Man, we could have murdered Stan Lee and no one would have stopped us because we were <laughs> five people alone in this 80s, you know, 85-year-old man. But that was also p- part of his charm, right? Like he just walked in. He owned the room. He He, he remembered you in that moment. Yep. And he had a some, little something for everybody in the room. He made you feel like a part of it. And he would joke. Like, he was fast. He, he took photos with everybody. He was happy to yep. do it. We could have kept hanging out and talking to him if we wanted to. Try doing that with someone of similar stature in another industry. Yeah. That would not happen. Nope. So there you go. Stanley. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. He said a lot of it himself. <laughs> there you go. Sad week, but also a good week to re- remember him. Definitely. All right. Let's wrap this sucker up. All right, so real quick, as we hit towards the end of the year, obviously, Dreadnoughts Legends number one, my comic that I edited, is still on Stephen Comicsology. You can check it out. Paul Montgomery and David Acampo were the writers. Priscilla Petratis and Marco Lesko were the artists and colorists. If we get enough interest, we'll do more. We have the second through fifth issues outlined. So if you want to read more of those adventures, buy the issues, leave us reviews. We would appreciate that. Blow it up, people. Get that done. You can also go ahead and listen to our Books Blowed episode where we figured out what My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies was eventually throughout that episode. It is a criminal story from Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. But even if you've never read any of that, it is worth the time. We, we talk about that in a, in a nice little show that's out. And then just behind that was our Talks Blowed from last month, which uh, featured cartoonist Katie Cook, uh, who was a hoot. Holiday schedule. So there's three more Pick of the Weeks for the year. 661 is next week, 1125 for Thanksgiving, 662. December 2nd, 663, December 9th. And then we break on the pick of the weeks until January 6th. We'll return to 664. But in that break, there'll be three shows for you to enjoy. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse review. Our End of the Year Spectacular, the all-media podcast, will be coming out on 1216. And then the Aquaman review show 
uh, happening. Some, whenever that, that movie comes out, I think it's the 23rd. Uh, I have it wrong here in the script. But there'll be three shows in the break uh, for you to enjoy while we're on our, our holiday break. And also, if you're a patron, the December patron hangout will be on December 2nd. Our wrapping up of the year. I thought that the November one was super fun, Josh. That was one of the more fun ones we did. Yeah. yeah and it was funny because it was completely formless. Yeah. Megan was like, this stuff planned? I was like, nope, nothing planned. Uh, we hadn't even, we were well into it before. I was like, we got nothing here. Let's keep going. <laughs> so a lot of content for you the rest of the year, even if we are taking our regular break. Rad. Uh, you can go over to ifanboy.com. You can comment on this show. Share a Stanley memory that you have there. That actually would be really great to do that. Yeah, because yeah, everybody's got a good story. I've never heard a bad one. Maybe you have a bad one. I'm fine with that, too. I want to know what your story is. You can find all of our other podcasts. We have done stuff. And we did talk about that Stanley show, uh, which we put up. It's on YouTube now. It had been taken down. So if you haven't had a chance, I watched through it again. Go to YouTube.com slash iFanboy. If you've never seen any of our video shows or the Stanley interview, it was, what was it, 45 minutes or so of uh, yep. with Stanley, and, and and it was a really good one. So check that out. Uh, it was YouTube.com slash iFanboy. I thought he was going to kick me out at one point. I was like, no, he's playing around. This is great. Uh, <laughs> you can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out at uh, Facebook.com slash iFanboy or at iFanboy on Twitter. And you can follow us individually at Jay Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram and at C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram as well. And if you like the show, leave a review on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, even if it's not a written review, you can leave a star rating. That helps people find podcasts, and we do appreciate that. Do it for any pod, any show you listen to. That would be a nice Christmas gift for them or any holiday you, you celebrate this year. And even better than that is to tell your friends, word of mouth is the best marketing tool. Uh, when people ask what podcasts you listen to, if they're asking for comics ones or not, we always appreciate when people mention our show, and we do, we do thank you. And this is a long one, but we had a good time talking about Stan, so next week is Thanksgiving. It's a Thanksgiving show, and until then, I'm Connor. And I'm Josh. And that book that Johnny Christmas worked on was Sheltered. Tremendous impact on yes. young people today. They, um, it's a funny thing. Uh, very often I'll come to stations like this and, and do interviews, and I can't tell you how many times I've gone, let's say, to a television station, and the cameraman, somebody in his 30s maybe or late 20s, will walk over to me. It makes me feel very old, but he'll say, Hey, Stan, gee whiz, I've been reading your stuff since I was 14. Tell me, how's the Hulk doing today? And so forth. And this wasn't the case many years ago, but somehow with the new type of comics, better written, more relevant, the readers are not leaving the comics or losing their interest as they reach the age of 14, let's say, the way they did years ago. But comics seem to have more of a staying power with people who are picking them up in the past decade or two. It may be that the writing style is becoming more and more valuable and significant and that you are using the words that are meaningful. Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> Stan, thank you very much. Stan Lee, publisher of the Marvel Comics Group. Oh, it's been a pleasure.